Good morning, and welcome to episode 260 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. Hello, Sam. Howdy. It's, How are you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, it's Wednesday, so it's email show. Um, but there is some news in the world of Effectively Wild, I guess. I, I will tell people that, that we have a Facebook group now. Uh, which is something that I guess podcasts are supposed to have, and I've always kind of thought about it and put it off, and then finally uh, a listener just went ahead and, and made one for us. Uh, so thank you to Tan Bao, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, for, for making a Facebook group for us. So you can get to this group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild, or you can go to the podcast post at BP and click on the link to it, uh, and there are already some some people in there posting pictures of Honda Fits and talking about intro sounds and why we chose them. Um, so I'm looking forward to this because uh, people send us excellent emails in response to episodes like uh, like in response to our cricket topic from yesterday. We probably got 10 emails and comments from people who actually know things about cricket telling us more background information about that. All very interesting stuff, but no one else gets to see it except us. So this is a place where you can go and uh, talk amongst yourselves about things related to the show or not related to the show. And I am in there and will participate, and you are not. <laughs> you, uh, you do not know how to log into Facebook. I don't have a password, and I no longer have access to the email, that, uh, the email address that it's tied to. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, for now, it's just going to be me then, uh, and I'll I'll pass along your your thoughts to Sam. <laughs> maybe maybe someday he will figure out a way to join us. Um, yeah. Okay. So should we just right. get to the baseball emails? show? Yeah. Yeah. I want to uh, before we get to the emails, I want to carry over from last week when we talked about which it might have even been two weeks ago which uh, baseball stories in history would provide the hottest takes mm. if they happen today in the Twitter age, um, hotter than they did at the time, for instance. And we got so many good answers that uh, we overlooked and that I think are quite superior to, to our answers, in particular your answers, which, as I recall, <laughs> you gave one answer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it was something like, what was it? It was like Hank Aaron. Uh, <laughs> like, that was it. That was like probably... was a guy's name. <laughs> was... You didn't even have a story. You just <laughs> named the guy. It was like Dave Kingman. Ray Chapman. Ray Chapman, that's right. You just stated his name. I'm not even convinced you Speaks knew what itself. happened to Ray Chapman. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, so uh, some of the really good answers that we got, though, um, and I'm going to save the one, which I think there is a clear winner in my mind, uh, just a spectacular answer, but um, I'll save that. So um, I think uh, Babe Ruth's 54 home run season in 1920, I believe the record at the time was about half that. Mm -hmm. So he was completely unheard of. Uh, I mean, what he was doing was unheard of, and somebody phrased it, is Babe Ruth an alien? And I do think that uh, it's sort of hard for me to believe that Babe Ruth actually existed in the form that uh, the records indicate, so I imagine to have lived through it. Mm -hmm. And also, keep in mind, he had, uh, Dan Brooks, I think, was talking to me about this recently, his ERA Plus in 1919, which is the year before his 54 home run season, his ERA Plus was actually... Something like, oh, criminy, I'm going to mess this up. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was like only four guys since then 
And oh no, I'm thinking. Wait, oh, what? His, sorry, his. I'm thinking of his OPS plus in 1919 ah. before the Red Sox traded him, mm-hmm. sold him. What only four players since then have had a higher OPS plus mm-hmm. in that time. So he was already like this incredible phenomenon. He had just been sold, um, and he actually was. St- uh, Boston used him, uh, you know, quite a bit as a pitcher in 1919. So it was his first year as a full-time player. So anyway, gosh, this is taking too long. So that's a good one. Um, yeah, you'd have so many opportunities for hot takes there because you'd have, should he be hitting or should he just be pitching or should he be pitching at all? And then you'd have uh, just the the marvel of never having seen this before. And then you'd have people saying that it's not the way baseball is supposed to be played and you're not supposed to try to hit the ball over the fence and this is this is the wrong way to play the game and all that sort of thing and then you'd have the people saying hey he scores runs every time that happens so uh and also yeah and also is he an alien i mean (laughs) you would have a lot of that uh ty cobb killing a dude is a good one (laughs) the only problem is is my understanding is that ty cobb killing a dude wasn't uh well-known mm-hmm. until 50 years later. But uh, assuming that Ty Cobb killing a dude, uh, you know, became well-known, it would be, I mean, obviously there's a current precedent, except now imagine instead of a, you know, a guy who plays tight end, imagine it's, you know, I don't want to name a player <laughs> because I don't want to implicate them in a murder. <laughs> but maybe Mike Trout. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, Juan Marichal uh, with the bat in the brawl. Anybody who took a bat into a brawl would be hot take central. Mm-hmm. I don't quite know how hot a take the uh, that generated at the time. Um, like he wasn't kicked out of the league. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that if he did that today, uh, he, people would call for him to be kicked out of the league. Mm-hmm. Um, if for no other reason than his age. It's absurd. He, he would be like, like 80. Uh, I think the mound being moved. Uh, when it was moved, you know, a century mm-hmm. ago, more than a century ago, and also the mound being um, raised and lowered would all provide lots of hot analysis, mm-hmm. if not hot takes, hot analysis, a lot of hot analysis. Uh, the Eddie Goodell story, uh, I'm going to quote, would be a much bigger deal if it had somehow happened today for a whole variety of reasons. The roster moves involved, the debate over the integrity of the game, the deba- debate over exploitation, etc., very good point. I think yeah, that the no one, uh, was, no one was worried about him no one standing up for his rights. <laughs> no. Exactly, and now that would be uh, hot. Yes. Um, so okay, and what I'm going to say is the the winner, the best one. I think this would be massive, especially because it it went on for years. It's not a one week story, and it involved the best players in the game, um, and it changed the sport, and it has a huge emotional. Uh, appeal and there would just be so much to do with it is the players who uh, went and fought in World War II. Mm-hmm. The best players in the world. I mean, imagine, just imagine that. Just imagine if Mike Trout and Miguel Cabrera went to war, like right now, like they just <laughs> flew off. Yeah. Like they just quit playing and they went and fought in a war where everybody was dying. It, like it's incredible. And for three years. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's incredible. That's an incredible. And uh, so, you know, similarly for Korea, I mean, Willie Mays basically was Mike Trout. Well, you know, more or less. And uh, he did leave for when he was 22 or 21 or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, which is incredible. That's an incredible thing when you think about it. Somebody, in fact, somebody, if you want a really cool project, uh, somebody should just start uh, blogging slash tweeting um, 
about that as though it were happening in real time and do that for two and a half years. And I will, I, I'm hesitant to say I will follow you because if I say that, somebody's going to do it and I'll be the only person following you and I'll feel very guilty. But uh, I think it could be fun. It would be a fun literary exercise. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Uh, okay. So on to the questions. How's that sound? Yes, that sounds great. So many, so many cricket responses <laughs> no. that I'm going to probably end up clicking on a cricket response or two. So many cricket responses. It, it really makes me want to talk about cricket more because every time I do, we get a, just a deluge of emails and they're all from like interesting places and mm. tell me things that I didn't know. Um, but, okay. but we'll try to avoid that. All right, Matthew uh, asked two quick questions. The first is very quick. Am I the only one who thinks WikiLeaks Every time somebody says Ricky Weeks, you are not. <laughs> no. I think that every time somebody says Ricky Weeks. Yep. Uh, I na in fact, I pronounce it Ricky Weeks in my head <laughs> instead of Ricky Weeks, which is how I pronounce it out loud. Mm -hmm. His other question is, you could build a pretty functional, old and injury-prone, but functional team out of this coming off-season's free agent pool. Consider names like McCann, Przinsky, Ruiz, Napoli, Morneau, Ellsbury, Cruz, Beltron, Berkman, Garza, Josh Johnson, Lincecum, Uehara. There's a whole team there. I don't have a question. But, and then he asks a question, how many of these characters do the Yankees sign? And why not just buy all of them? Uh, well, that's not what the Yankees are doing. Uh, so that's not a very valid question. They're trying to save money and not go over the uh, luxury tax. Yeah, but although the wasn't there a story about how they miscalculated the amount that they would save because of that? I feel like I read... Uh, that oh, they so were they were telling everybody that they were going to well, save $60 million or yeah, whatever. Yeah, they, they were overestimating how much they would actually save because of that strategy, but uh, but probably would still be a considerable amount just from... But, I mean, then again, do they... If, if A-Rod doesn't play, that's a, a ton of money that comes off the books that they don't have to pay him next year, and, and that could get them under that, and they could still sign a couple people, maybe. Yeah, good point. I mean... Good point. They could sign a lot of these guys, actually, because a lot of these guys suck um, and aren't going to cost that much. I so uh, McCann would be in of interest to them, I uh -huh. think. Uh, he might be. Yes. Good point. Mm -hmm. Can I get to the question? Sure. My question? Mm -hmm. uh, he Also, Chu. We, I don't, uh, he didn't mention Chu, but add Chu in there. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about what a weak free agent class this is. And, you know, somebody does this every year is build the best team you can out of free agents and then try to figure out how many wins that team would win. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to do it um, in November for sure. Uh, and we should get a head start on them. Uh, based on those names that I just read, which remind you include Ruiz, Morneau, Berkman, <laughs> Josh Johnson. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, some pretty bad players in that name. And, and he had to, I mean, you know. That these were the best. These are the best names. Uh, so just out of curiosity, an oh. all-free agent team. Robinson Cano's name was not in there. That's true. Cano wasn't in there, and Chu wasn't in there. Mm -hmm. um, best guess, before we've done any calculations, what do you think an all-free agent team, the, you know, the best all-free agent team you can come up with, uh, would mm. project to? Uh, I'll guess uh, 85 wins mm -hmm. uh okay yeah it's uh it's yeah it's the rotation man it's that yes. rotation is gonna be tough i mean it'd be a great bullpen right because there's always a thousand good, sure. good relievers well, koji or hara is there so that's i mean that's all you need really yeah you'd have you know mccann at catcher more at first cano at second 
uh, I don't know who's playing short in that situation, but someone, uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe Euclid or something horrible <laughs> third. Yeah. Um, uh, and then Beltron, Cruz, and Chu, or actually, yeah, I guess, Ellsbury. Ellsbury, Ellsbury, yeah. Ellsbury, Beltron, and Chu, probably, and then that terrible rotation. Beltron, uh, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I might go, I might go 92. At least. Yeah, well, Utley, but he's not yeah. going to play and, anywhere. Right, and you, yeah, you've got Garza, uh, Kuroda is a free agent. Um, oh, yeah, Kuroda. Burnett, Santana, uh-huh. Josh Johnson, Lincecum. Yeah, you, I think you can you could put together a, a pretty decent team. Nine, 90 plus. I think 90 plus. Yeah, so it'd it's be not that bad. old and injured and expensive, but, mm-hmm. but you could win. Okay. All right, so uh, so even though it's a bad class, there's still enough to make a good team. Mm-hmm. If you if you had the money and you had this class, you could put together a good team. Yes. All right, uh, Jim. If Major League Baseball increased the active roster size from 25 to 30 players per team, how many of the extra five would be pitchers and how many would be hitters? Mm. That's an excellent question. It uh, is an excellent question. I. I'd really like to think that it would skew towards position players, and I, I think it would. That I mean, there certainly could be a team that would just go with the, the all-bullpen strategy. I, I think there probably would be a team that would do that. Um, but I think do, you think... do you think that the roster crunch is what keeps a team from doing that? You don't think that... I mean, they're already carrying 12 pitchers. You think that you need more than 12 to feel comfortable pulling that off? I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, I think you'd need a couple more just to, to make sure that people get enough rest. Uh, I'll say on average, I guess I'll say on average teams would add at least three position players, probably. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, if you're not going to an all bullpen staff. Right, then you should just go all position players. Well, yeah, I think that, I think probably, I mean, you know, no manager can resist turning down a pitcher. So I would yes. guess that probably at least one on average. I, I mean, I would think that a manager would be happy going up to 14 in some cases. But, I mean, you really are limited in what you can use. Mm-hmm. Um, and theoretically, you could, you're not really limited in how many position players you can use. There's, um, you know, teams would love to have a third catcher if there were no restriction. Teams would, I'm sure, love to have a pure speed guy if there was no mm-hmm. Uh, limit and yeah, certainly I, mean, I think there are a lot of teams that would like to have more platoons or you yes. know a lot of times your your fourth outfielder kind of has to play center field if you had more so you know that limits your ability to carry uh, kind of a corner bat mm-hmm. who doesn't have much flexibility or you know a pinch hitter type who um, you know can't play another infield position generally in 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 this day and age, you just can't carry that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you used to be able to, and now you really can't. If the guy can't play at least, you know, one position, uh, you know, second, second, third, or short, then you don't really have much use for an infielder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think that you'd see four position players in one pitcher. Yeah, uh, and there'd be some very, very bad players <laughs> on benches uh, and in bullpens, but that would be okay. I mean, you could, you can have one-dimensional guys who are just just do one thing they're just fast or they can just hit but can't play any positions because uh you can you can prevent them from having to do any of the things that they can't do yeah i wouldn't uh i wonder if september 
I mean, in September, I guess there's you don't see teams that um, are competing really put any limit on it. So I guess it, I was wondering if that would give us an indication. But like, I mean, I remember there was a year where I think the Yankees were carrying 19 pitchers at one point mm-hmm. in September. Um, so I guess if, if there's no restriction, you probably would see some teams just, I, you know, similarly, there's, it used to be that the draft was just, you would draft until teams quit picking players. Like there was no limit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like in the eighties, this was the case. And so you might think, oh, well, like if teams had five more draft picks, what would they do differently? But like, if they had infinite, they just some teams just pick forever. Like the Astros would pick like a hundred. They would be the Astros at the time. This was kind of their strategy was to just draft a billion players. So they would be the last team picking for like 30 rounds. Mm-hmm. They would just pick and pick and pick. And, you know, some teams would quit it at 35 rounds and then the Astros would go 110. <laughs> I mean, you need you need teams to put those players on theoretically uh you do yeah um i wonder when yeah yeah well i mean you i guess you do but you don't necessarily i mean you can you take you you're not necessarily going to sign all those i wonder how many of the 110 they signed mm-hmm. um all right john i have a question about when teams pick up or eat salary and trades let's use alfonso soriano when next season rolls around is Alfonso Soriano going to actually be on the Cubs payroll and receive a paycheck signed by Tom Ricketts twice a month along with a Yankee paycheck? Or did the Cubs just cut the Yankees a $13 million check on July 26th? That brings up my hypothetical question. Could the Mets somehow trade off the Bonilla $1 million a year until 2035 contract to someone? How would that work? Would the payroll totally transfer over? I assume they couldn't just cut a check this year because of inflation and things like that. Okay, uh, So I asked uh, Jeff Houston who runs COTS, uh, about this. And he confirmed that um, the empl- the team that trades, sorry, the team that trades for a player pays his salary. So right now, the Yankees are signing Alfonso Soriano's paycheck. And the team that trades, generally, uh, when it picks up the contract, it just writes a check at the beginning. And that's why commissioner requires uh is required to approve these things because cash is being transferred so by this logic for bonilla if they tried to trade that it really wouldn't work because the money is actually deferred from seasons in which he's already been employed by the mets so the mets have to keep writing that check even if they hypothetically traded the contract um and so that's my understanding so jeff says that's my understanding too Uh, An exec has told me that each individual club is free to handle the accounting the way it sees fit, provided the commissioner's office approves a particular transaction. So I believe there are exceptions. For instance, I think the Rangers continued financing an annuity for deferred portion of A-Rod's salary after he was traded to New York, but before he opted out during the 07 World Series. But in general, that's spot on. Mm -hmm. So now you know. Okay. talking accountant over here. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Daily podcast about accounting from baseball perspective. So, uh, so for Soriano, so you're saying that the Cubs paid the Yankees what they are going to owe Soriano for next year already? Yeah, I think that if the Cubs are paying that, mm-hmm. I don't know what the terms of that trade were. What are the terms of that trade? Uh, let me look up what I wrote about it. But I think uh, I think a lot of that was covered by the Cubs. Yeah, I would. I would imagine that, well, I would say that my my understanding is the Cubs uh, will write a check to the Yankees 
not to Alfonso Soriano. And next year, though. Uh, well, that would probably be part of the discussion. Yeah. The timing would be part of the discussion. That would be slightly better few, for them, I guess. Yeah, a few 10000 mm-hmm. uh in interest payments or right. whatever. Yeah, right. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Um, Aaron, uh, this is a long one. Where am I going to edit this? Okay. Uh, so there's a few situations in baseball where it seems it might be a potential benefit in taking advantage of the opposition's assumptions. The situation I think about most is the automatic start that runners get on 3-2 with two out. Now, I know in theory that they only start once they see the pitcher going to the plate, but especially if a few pitches get fouled off and everyone has to keep resetting, it looks like the runner can get pretty lazy and doesn't pay that much attention to exactly what the pitcher is up to. Is there a time when the pitcher might try to pick off the runner at first if he jumps his start too soon? I could be completely wrong, but I don't think I've ever seen this happen. Would this be frowned upon as poor form? Would this not be allowed for some reason? Would the pitcher just not want to waste mental energy on this and so he wants to know if we have any assumptions and i'm curious what you think about um well uh if you have any thoughts about his example and if you have any examples of your own hmm uh trying to think if i've i have an example of my own you want me to say mine and then you can think yeah sure go ahead so the example i always think of is that uh is the defensive indifference in mm-hmm. the ninth inning when you're up by three and the guy just, you know, mo- moves on down to second to avoid the double play. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously that base doesn't matter, which is why they let him go. But the theoretical out would matter a great deal. And, you know, I mean, it's like it's Jim Tomey running down there, uh, not expecting a throw, probably being, you know, kind of careful not to get picked off because he knows there's not going to be a throw coming from the catcher. And I just feel like I'm waiting for Joe Madden to nab some guy because the out would be just tremendously important. I mean, a lot of times, you know, that might be the tying run is on is is up to bat. You know, that the run on first doesn't matter, but the run at the plate does, and an out would just be huge. It, and it really does feel like like there's probably a free out to be gotten there. Um, now you don't get to do it twice. That's the thing. You once you do it once, it's probably going to be a long time before anybody lets you get away with it again. Mm-hmm. So you deploy it carefully, um, but. I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm waiting. I think Joe Madden will do it at some point. Um, and so the question is, is is this, would this be considered a violation of unwritten rules? Which, as we know from yesterday, I'm all in favor of unwritten rules, and I'm even more in favor of breaking them uh, to gain a competitive advantage. Um, there is, I think that a lot of unwritten rules do rely on, on this idea of um, doing what is expected to you of you. I mean, they're basically mm-hmm. manners, right? Manners in general are about kind of not surprising people, doing things the way that they're done so that people don't get surprised. So if it's been 10,000 times that defensive indifference has gone, you know, that, that these sorts of situations have gone unchallenged, it clearly would be kind of a violation of etiquette maybe to win on that. But I don't know that... I don't know that in a situation like that where the game is on the line, like I could see if the game, if, if you were up by six and the guy jogged down to second and you threw him out, I think that would probably be considered a violation or, or poor form. And I could see there being some retribution at some point. Mm-hmm. If you were up by two and the guy jogged to second and you threw him out, I think you'd be on solid ground. 
Mm-hmm. And so every time this situation comes up, I'm waiting. I'm thinking this is going to be the time that some smart manager or some smart catcher maybe uh, just says, you know, pitches out, you know, throw, does a slide step, pitches out, guns the guy out at second. I mean, it would just be so amazingly unexpected and beautiful, and I would love it. And I think you could do it. I think you could get the guy. Um, but hasn't happened yet. Well, the the obvious one that I was thinking of is is the hidden ball trick, uh, mm-hmm. which takes advantage of the assumption that the fielder no longer has the ball, that the pitcher has the ball. Um, mm-hmm. And Zach Levine wrote an article for BP at the end of May about how it seems sort of surprising that this isn't tried more. Um, and someone someone did then try it after that. But it failed, right? Someone, do you remember someone tried it this season? But the umpires and and it would have worked. But the umpire said that the the pitcher had gotten back onto the rubber before the tag was applied. Uh, I don't remember who that was, but mm-hmm. but that happened. Um, but I'm surprised that 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 doesn't happen more often. It it really hasn't been done successfully since. Do you remember when the last time? I, I'll look at Zach's article uh, while you're saying the next thing because I think he mentioned it, but. That's something that, that's, I mean, there's no, there's no unwritten rule against that, right? I don't think anyone really objects to that. It doesn't seem like no one, no one considers it cheap. It's like you should be paying attention. And if you aren't, then it's your fault. I think that the, I think my guess for the, (laughs) my suspicion for why the hidden ball trick is not considered cheap is that uh, you grow up doing it almost every game. Mm-hmm. And it just is such a, like, it's part of, I think it's part of the lore. Like it, I think the fact that it's like even called the hidden ball trick, you know, like mm-hmm. it's got this charming name and it's just so like, so kid friendly, you know, I mean, <laughs> they, anytime someone pulls it off, you can like, you can imagine their face right now, whatever face <laughs> you're imagining is exactly the face that everybody makes. It is a joyful thing. I think even yeah. the runner has, gets a little bit of a <laughs> kick out of it unless it's a significant moment. So I think the hidden ball trick is is immune. Now, you know what move worked a lot in Little League that I, you don't ever see in the majors? Mm-hmm. And I, I always kind of want to see it tried, but I don't think it makes sense because the field is too big, is when the runner on second has a big lead and the center fielder sneaks in. Do you mm-hmm. remember that mm-hmm. one? <laughs> oh, that was so – that was – devastating in little league like you could get guys like five or six times a year you could get guys on that one mm-hmm. that was uh, a beautiful play so when zach wrote that article in may he said that the next week so the first week of june would mark six years since the last successful hidden ball trick so that's that's too long that's a long time yeah i mean and it would be oh. it would be so effective it, obviously the more you use it or the more you try it the less effective it gets but after several years of of not not successfully pulling it off and hardly even attempting to do it. I mean, it's almost, it would be almost automatic. I feel like a lot of times. Uh, I remember a hidden ball trick in spring training when I was growing up, which reminds me that there was some play this spring. And if it comes to me, that would be great, but I can't quite remember, but some player did something sort of sneaky and based on the other team's assumptions, took advantage of it. And it was this really awesome play and he did it in the middle of spring, and, and he actually even mentioned in his post-game interview, like, yeah, I can only pull it off every few years. They were napping. Uh-huh. It's like, yeah, it's spring training, idiot. <laughs> like, of course they were napping. It's literally the time to nap. Like, this is they're sleepwalking through 
games that don't matter. Why didn't you save it? It was a, <laughs> I think it was a giant. I'm pretty sure it was a giant who did this. I, I'm going to have to find this. It was like an awesome play uh-huh. that he totally just completely blew. I'm kind I w- of disappointed. I would like to see, I guess, uh, slow runners or non-base stealers try to pick spots to steal maybe more often. Uh, like earlier this year, David Ortiz stole third base for the first time in his career. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he didn't even draw a throw. Um, and he's he's been playing for 17 years. He's 37 years old. No one thinks he's a base stealer. He's actually stolen four bases this year, which is his career high. Uh, so it's almost as if he's established this reputation as a guy who's never going to go. And now in his his twilight years, he is making the most of that. He's occasionally going when no one expects it. I'd, I'd kind of like to see that more often. Uh, yeah, I'm Googling various, uh, uh, like phrases like sneaky, sneaky play, spring, spring training, training. Sneaky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> spring training, sneaky running. <laughs> Good luck with that. Uh, all right. I'm going to ask one more and, and okay. I don't know if you know the answer. I consider you my Tommy John expert, but I know that you don't consider yourself <laughs> Not at all. your own Tommy John <laughs> expert. So I, I'll ask if, if you don't have an answer, we can maybe ask it next week mm-hmm. with, uh, like maybe we can get Corey Dawkins to help. Sure. Uh, but it's an interesting question, so at least we can throw it out there. Um, uh, blah, blah. PEDs like Tommy John surgery. This is from Michael. I think there's an argument to be had that if certain substances determined to be performance enhancing are banned, so should taking a ligament from your leg and putting it in your elbow. And it got me to wondering what if Major League Baseball banned Tommy John surgery tomorrow? Would pitchers just pitch through UCL tears or would teams just ride an arm until it blew out and then toss it aside? Um, and I feel like some of the other rhetorical or uh, the other questions that he asks are kind of uh, more clear, but I am curious about what you think about that question specifically. Would, I mean, you would a pitcher, like what's a pitcher's alternative to Tommy John if he has a UCL tear? Does it, does it ever heal? Like, could you take two years off and it would heal? Or uh, I think it, are you stuck with it for life? I think it depends on the degree of the tear uh, that if that there is a certain point at which if it's if it's torn that amount and I forget the, the percentage, there's some kind of rule of thumb. But um, if it's torn beyond that amount, then it won't heal on its own. Even if you even if you rest and rehab and take time off, uh, it it can't fix itself. There is. There is a, a partial tear or some degree of tear that, that will. Um, so so I think, uh, I don't know, I, I would think that pitchers would just do what they did before there was Tommy John surgery, right? Which is just hope that it that it, they can pitch through it uh, and take some time off and come back and try to throw again and uh, probably not pitch very effectively and eventually wash out of baseball. That's that's what tended to happen, um, mm-hmm. and I guess uh, I don't know. I wonder whether whether this would change pitcher usage much. Whether teams would handle pitchers even more carefully and delicately than they do now, uh, if they know that there's no coming back from this ever. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe they would, but it seems like even now it it happens very often anyway, uh, even with guys hardly ever going over a hundred pitches. So I don't know that there's that much you can do. We'd just, we'd just be deprived of a lot of really good careers. 
pretty much. Yeah, you yeah, and you, so you figure offense would be bananas at this point. Um, uh, yeah. You know, sort of out of control probably, and uh, you well, probably would have. About, I don't. You think it would get crazy? I mean. Yeah, I do. Why? Well, because there's 200 pitchers who wouldn't be pitching. Sure. I mean, it wasn't before Tommy John surgery. It wasn't out of control. Um, no, but like we've, I mean, like we've talked about, my sort of theory is that barring substantial changes every so often, offense continually. No, wait, it's the other way. Yeah. Pitching continually, huh? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I got, I got back. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe not. You might be right. I, yeah. I guess there would have well okay so all right so then let's rephrase the question if we don't think that hitting would be out of control even though 200 pitchers who are currently in major league rosters and being awesome uh are not uh why not why would how would how would the equilibrium be maintained <clears throat> uh i don't know i would expect it to be i mean it would have to help offense somewhat it would be like uh, like expanding by a few teams or something, just watering down the pitching by that amount. Um, so it would have some effect, I would think. So uh, I don't know. I guess before Tommy John surgery, um, hmm, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good reason why when pitchers got injured more. And I guess, I don't know, it, it doesn't, we don't really have great data that lets us say whether pitchers are getting hurt less often. It seems like they are sort of, but they still get hurt all the time. Um, so maybe that's why things haven't gotten out of control now with pitchers uh, much more healthy and able to come back and pitch longer. But I don't know. I'm trying to think of, of why that would be. What what force would counterbalance the sudden loss of pitchers. Can you think of anything? Uh, you know, I can't really. I mean, one, one, maybe one possibility. I haven't thought this out, and it might fall apart completely. But like, let's say there's a, th- let's say the top thousand pitchers in the game. Let's say two hundred of them get Tommy John surgery. That leaves eight hundred who don't. Now, as it is, we treat those eight hundred somewhat gently because we're afraid they're going to get Tommy John surgery. But if there were two hundred fewer pitchers. And, you know, there were, I don't know, maybe maybe what would change is that those 800 would, would be ridden a lot harder, and we would find out that, they, that you can ride them a lot harder. That, mm-hmm. In fact, those 800 have each have, you know, between 20 and 120 more innings that they could throw every year without being put at risk. Now, 200 would be, you know, gone. They'd be, just, they'd be toast, but the 800 would be picking up those innings without substantial loss i mean it, it, i guess what i'm saying is it could be that uh we're underutilizing pitchers because we can mm-hmm. and if we couldn't maybe we wouldn't underutilize them so maybe that's one yeah perhaps idea yeah that makes some sense i also wonder what uh i mean it seems to me that contracts would be different and the union probably would have fought for different things over the course of i mean the first tommy john surgery was just as you know basically just before free agency just as the union was getting strong and if pitchers if you know an entire class of pitcher essentially was an entire class of player was essentially having their careers uh cut short this quickly 
um, you wonder what sorts of different things the union would be fighting for if, uh, you know, there would be, uh, I don't know if they, if there would be more of an emphasis on longer contracts, fighting for longer contracts instead of, uh, fighting for more lucrative contracts, or if there would be, uh, I, you know, I don't really know. I don't even know what they would fight for, but mm-hmm. I mean, you just think that there would be so many players whose careers would be, I mean, so many top players careers would be cut short before their first payday mm-hmm. so that you might not have the six year service time thing mm-hmm. uh, because you'd want to give young pitchers a chance at a big payday immediately mm-hmm. so maybe that's what it would be you wouldn't have the the six years mm-hmm. that could be I, uh, yeah that would be something that the owners would not be happy to, to give up but but yeah no, but they'd give up you know they'd get something else mm-hmm. they might get something that they liked a whole lot more maybe they'd get their salary cap mm-hmm. and so then salaries would go down for hitters yeah sure all right let's do this again next week ben i plan to uh so send us some emails that we can talk about then at podcast at baseballperspectus.com join our fancy new facebook group and uh rate and review us on itunes a lot of you have done that lately and i have to say that if i were if i were someone browsing baseball podcasts and and didn't know anything about them except the reviews i would i would give us a shot based on those reviews. I don't know that I would give us more than one episode, but I'd I'd give us one. Uh, So thank you for that, and we will be back tomorrow.